Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Laura, school. Mom, just two minutes. My recital's tomorrow. I know, you can stream your lesson in the car. With total dedication backed by Ireland's best performing mobile network, amazing things can happen. You got it. Enjoy super fast streaming on Vodafone Pay As You Go. Switch today in store or online and get up to 100 euro off a range of smartphones. Vodafone, together we can. Offer subject to availability. Claims based on network test results conducted by Umlaut on three major networks in February and March 2021. Terms apply. See Vodafone.ie for full terms. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Point, Family F1's very own podcast. I'm your host, Finley Kroboda, and uh, joining me for this week's episode discussing the 2020 Belgian Grand Prix is, uh, as always, the Planet F1 editor, Michelle Foster. Michelle, how's it going? Uh, Finley, another Monday morning post-race, another Lewis Hamilton victory. Uh, not much changes. No, no, before we uh, get into the specifics of it, I mean, you know, not to be, not, not to put a downer on things or anything, but considering this is the Belgian Grand Prix at one of the best arguably the best formula one circuit was it um i don't know in terms of entertainment was it a bit disappointing for you wasn't a bit disappointing it was extremely disappointing i love the belgian grand prix i think it's one of the most beautiful tracks i mean you just take the surroundings into account as well and that that normally makes it worth watching there's normally a lot of excitement with is this going to rain what's going on but unfortunately, even even the rain didn't come out to help us this weekend. And I mean, top four in the grid, top four with the checkered flag. I mean, that's that unfortunately says way too much about Formula One these days. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into the specifics in a second. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, I did notice the lack of fans because I always love seeing the fans at the Belgian Grand Prix. But I think even with full grandstands, it wouldn't have saved it, to be honest. I think... Um, Rain would have, uh, maybe a few more safety cars, but that's about it. Um, we'll, we'll we'll start off with um, not the battle at the front, really. The you know what went on at the front, I guess, because it wasn't much of a battle. Like you said, it finished 
as it started, uh, and as many races have finished and started this season, with Hamilton first, Bottas second, and Verstappen third. And it wasn't particularly close between any three of them, really. Um, I mean, it's getting to a point now, it's like, what more can we say about Lewis Hamilton, you know? He, uh, yeah, it's not the first time this season that we've discussed such a dominant victory for him. He's now within, I think, two wins of uh, matching Michael Schumacher's tally and I don't know I'd say it's pretty certain that he's going to match the Germans uh, world championship tally as well isn't it yeah I think we might as well just give Hamilton the driver's championship trophy now and uh, ask him maybe if nicely he he could sit, sit out a couple of races for us just so we could see something different but you you can't fault the guy I mean he's absolutely incredible he's going for these records and he's going for them like a bat out of hell and he's not doing anything wrong. And I think that's one of the most amazing things about Hamilton is you, you could say that there's absolutely no pressure on his shoulders. But, I mean, with every race that he comes that step closer to those Schumacher records, I reckon there must be some pressure there. I mean, there's, there's a lot riding on it. It's, it's pretty much the topic of every second headline that you see these days. And yet this guy is just putting in performance after masterclass after after performance. He's absolutely wonderful. Um, unfortunately, though, it's not particularly wonderful for Formula One. But like Hamilton has come out and saying, it's it's not his fault, you know. Him and Mercedes, they go out every week. They do the best job they can. They go back to the factory on the Monday. They look at how they can improve on well, what's basically perfection more often than not. And therefore, it's it's not their fault. You know, the one thing he did say is is blame the decision makers, blame the people who come up with the rules in Formula One, who've designed these cars. That's that's where the buck has to stop, unfortunately. And yeah, it's not his fault that he is he's phenomenal. He really is, yeah. And I think um, obviously, aside from being just a really really quick driver, I think it is just so impressive how how well he handles the pressure um not just week in week out in every race situation but yeah like you said the whole the, the situation in total you know he's um the whole story that everybody's running with is you know him chasing the best of all time arguably in michael schumacher and um i don't know when you see that in other sports when you see people chasing that kind of stardom um i guess they can hit a wall you know i think of like uh, serena williams in tennis she's got on the verge of becoming the record holder for Grand Slams for a women's player. And, you know, it just suddenly looks so much harder. But that isn't the case for Hamilton at all. It doesn't look... I mean, it looks as easy as ever for him. And, you know, bearing in mind his age as well, he says he's in the best form of his life, which is, yeah, not what his rivals will be wanting to hear, uh, I don't think, especially Valtteri Bottas. Um... Because, I mean, I don't know, after a good start, he's just nowhere near Hamilton at this point. Um, I don't know, do you look at it and do you think that Mercedes were a bit, I don't know, they lacked ambition in keeping Bottas? Or do you think they're perfectly happy with uh, the setup at the moment? I think they're perfectly happy. There's absolutely nothing to complain about in their driver's lineup. They've got one person who, who wins races and championships and another one who brings the car home in second and third place. Uh, that that's all they can really want from a second driver. Um, I do. I got to be honest and say I do feel for Bortus at times. I mean, he was hoping for a little bit of a power boost to attack Lewis Hamilton on in Sunday's race. Only to be told that uh, no, sorry, we had agreed not to use this against each other. And he was like, we had. 
He had no clue about that. Um, Total Wolf has since come out and said, you know, it was a bit of a miscommunication. Drivers are free to race. But, yeah, drivers are free to race as long as it's not Bortis racing Hamilton for the victory while there is so much at stake. Maybe after Hamilton has Schumacher's record for race wins, maybe one or two others, then it might be free to race. But at the moment, like Sunday, you, you really felt it wasn't. So I feel for Bortis. But at the same time, he just hasn't done enough. You know, he, he's done enough to be a great second driver. He hasn't done enough that Mercedes will go, okay, well, you challenge Hamilton and may the best driver win the world championship. Are you surprised at how far off he is off Hamilton? Because I don't, I think we all know that he's not that caliber, you know, of a, a multi-world champion and all-time great. But I don't know, when he, when he replaced Rosberg, I did think, oh, he's probably about Rosberg's level, maybe a bit lower. And obviously Rosberg... Even before 2016, which he won, he always put up a fight against Hamilton pretty much week in, week out, even if Hamilton did prevail. Um, And yeah, Bottas isn't doing that. So yeah, does that surprise you? Uh, Not really. I I personally never thought Bottas was, was the guy who was going to challenge Lewis Hamilton for the world titles. But like I said, Mercedes don't need someone to fight for the world title. They don't need 2016 again. That drama, that tension in the garage and stuff they're going for so much at the moment with Hamilton with that seventh world title seventh double Schumacher's race wins why would they want someone who can challenge so they've they've settled for someone who, who can't um and disappointing for the fans because it would be fantastic if we had two drivers even if they are from the same team going for the world title um, but we don't. I mean, yeah, the world title's decided. We now have a battle for second, Max versus Bortis. That's about as exciting as it's going to get. Yeah, that is. And um, thankfully, that's an interesting battle, at least. But it's one that, I don't know, I'd say Verstappen's probably going to win. Um, obviously, it depends on how the car development goes. But yeah, Hamilton made the headlines after the race as well. Um because of, well, his comment on Verstappen. You know, he said uh, how hard it must be for Verstappen to be, uh, you know, leading a team on his own, fighting at the front of his own, saying that he had to do so when he was at McLaren and knows how it feels. Um, which, I don't know, it's a bit of a... It's, to say that in the public to the media, it seems pretty harsh on Alex Albon, to be honest. Um, I mean, we have to discuss Albon again. Um, I do really feel bad for him because I think he's probably got the one of the most difficult seats in F1, you know. Not only is he next to a ridiculously quick driver in Max Verstappen, but he's also with a team that are notoriously brutal for just swapping drivers if they're not happy. Um, I say team, probably a man in Helmut Marko. But, yeah, I mean, he finished in P6 in the end. Um, kind of lucky. I think one more lap and he probably would have finished P7. Obviously, on paper, it's definitely not great, but, I mean, he was effectively used as a human guinea pig for the um, medium tyre to see if Verstappen could do a two-stop race or not. So, I mean, when Red Bull put him on that kind of strategy, they've only got themselves to blame, really, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, Red Bull have come out and said that as long as Alex improves race by race, then they're going to keep him, and and it's all good and well. But, yeah, I think, like you say, it, it was quite shocking what Hamilton came out and said. I mean, he basically said that... Ultimately, both drivers aren't there and Max is having to carry the team all on his own. I was very surprised to hear that for, for Hamilton to weigh in on another team's dynamics. That's not something that's not something he normally does. I mean, that's 
that's normally left for the the former driver's turn commentator to to make comments like that. But there's nothing wrong with what he said. I mean, it's it is it is what it is. Unfortunately, Max is carrying the team, and I don't know. Albans out doing Sunday testing. I mean, he was half a minute behind Max, forty something seconds behind Lewis at the checkered flag. I'm surprised that Red Bull, given their history, uh, are showing him the support that that they have been. But at the same time, he he is a Thai British driver. He pretty much ticks nationality-wise all the boxes for Red Bull. Um, and this kind of the season with triple header after triple header after triple header, I think even if the team wanted to replace him, it, it's not that easy. I mean, the, there's there's just pretty much no time probably to even put pen to paper on a new deal with someone else. Um, hats off to Alex. You know, he's he says he's not listening to the criticism. He's pushing. He's doing what he can. It, it seems to be that he's dropping the ball on a Saturday and is then having to spend Sundays recovering. And his Sunday afternoon performances actually aren't that bad when you consider where he's starting the races from. But yeah, if Alex is still at Red Bull next season, I'd be quite surprised. There's a part of me that just, you know, looks at the strategies they put him on, um, like that, that medium tie, for example, which clearly was going to be pretty destroyed by the end of the race. It just made me wonder that they... They literally, is it just Team Verstappen now uh, and Alex is there doing Sunday tests to benefit Verstappen going forward? Um, Which, I don't know, it seems a really strange way to go, to be honest, because you've got a good car there, you know, it's the second best car. And with a driver like Verstappen, he's shown that he can at least challenge Bottas. Um, And if they've had another driver that could challenge and beat Bottas, then you know, maybe they'd be in the mix for the constructors as well. Um, and obviously it would help race to uh, race to race because you can mix it up with strategies, put more pressure on them. So, I mean, I know that, uh, you know, after 2010, Mark Webber was quite a way off Sebastian Vettel, but he was always, he was always there in the mix and the kind of, you know, getting a lot of podiums still, the occasional win. Um, and obviously that was the case with Ricardo and Verstappen too. So yeah, it is strange to me. Um, I don't think Albon's fully to blame, but then I don't think Danny Kvyat was when he was kicked out. I don't think Pierre Gasly was when he kicked out. Ultimately, I don't think they really care. And yeah, Albon's, I don't think his state of mind is going to be helped by the fact that the man he replaced at Red Bull, uh, Pierre Gasly, is absolutely nailing it this season. Um, Yeah, I just want to talk about him a bit because I just think it's it's such a feel-good story at the moment. You know, I think if you look back to this time last year, he was... I mean, he was going through a horrible time. He'd um, been dropped by Red Bull, uh, and then he had his close friend, obviously, Antoine Hubert, pass away at Spa. And it, it must have been, you know, the, one of the hardest times of his life. Um, and a year on, he's looking like one of the best drivers of the season. Isn't it just great to see? Absolutely. I've been super impressed with Pierre Gasly. Also, in the, the last couple of races of last year, when he got dropped down to Toro Rosso, um, and now, you know, into this season with the team, he's done. He's done absolutely nothing to show that his tails between his legs, that he's whimpering or anything like that. Um, he's also been fantastic these days in that he he's coming out and admitting that yeah, he is he's a bit peeved with Red Bull for for dropping him and stuff. But even with that, he's just showing them that they made a mistake. They should have given him the time. And it's it's quite funny because. 
Unfortunately, we're all so fickle, you know. At the at the time when he was with Red Bull, we were again going, "Oh, he's not matching Max. Oh, it's he's not doing that great." Put him back in the Toro Rosso now, Alfa Tori, and now I want to go. He's he's one of the standout drivers of the season. Um, he has, I think, he's bagged 18 points so far. Danny Kivitz just on two. He was driver of the day yesterday in what was an extremely emotional weekend for him. And he just came out firing, and well done to him, and especially well done to him, as I said, for for not sulking, for getting on with the job. I hope I hope he gets another chance for the top team at some stage of the game. It might be with Red Bull next season, uh, replacing Alex. Who knows? But if not, I hope somebody else takes a chance on him because I think they're going to be. A t- I think they're going to really appreciate it if they do. Pierre Gasly is a good driver. Yeah, you mentioned him maybe going back to Red Bull, and I don't know, you know, I'm I'm fast becoming a Pierre Gasly fanboy, I think, and um, the thought of him going back to that environment again in a team that's built for Max Verstappen, in a car that's built for Max Verstappen, if we're being honest, it's not one that excites me, you know, um, I think if I, you know, I look at Carlos Sainz and he shows that there's, there's life beyond the Red Bull program, so I think next season there's not really anywhere to go unless Red Bull decide to promote him again. So I think Afatori next year. But after that, I think he'd be one of the most interesting drivers on the grid for most of the teams, to be honest. You know, maybe Renault would want another French driver when um, Fernando Alonso goes after presumably two years. Yeah, I do think he's um, one of the best drivers on the grid. And this season, I'd probably put him in my top three along with Hamilton and Verstappen, to be honest. I think he's just been, yeah, really impressive. Sadly, the Alfatori don't have the car to be fully in the mix for the uh, battle for P3 in the standings. Um, and yeah, that's what we should look at th- next, I think, because thanks to Renault's awesome weekend in which they finished P4 and P5, there's now just nine points separating third to sixth. I don't think Ferrari are in the mix for that, uh, to be honest. We'll, 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 we'll take a look at them in a second, but... Yeah, after Renault, how Renault performed here with um, on a low downforce track, you know, with Monza up next, they've, uh, yeah, they're in a pretty good place, aren't they? They're looking really strong at the moment. I mean, Daniel Ricciardo fourth on the grid and then fourth at the checkered flag. Uh, he was three point something seconds behind Max Verstappen at the finish line. Um, which, I mean, let's be honest, we're all really waiting for Danny Rick's first podium with Renault just to see what tattoo poor Cyril has to get. Um, yeah, I think that one could be quite an amusing mix at the end of the day. But yeah, McLaren, 68 points. Renault, 59 points. Like you say, Ferrari, they're in there. But yeah, I think Ferrari's probably going to be six by the time we get to the end of the Magello race, unfortunately for them. So yeah, Renault and McLaren in what could be an awesome battle for best of the rest. Third place in the championship. Racing points in play at that as well. Formula One's midfield is looking absolutely fantastic. You don't know uh, on any any given Sunday whether it's going to be a Renault McLaren or a Racing Point taking the fight. Well, hopefully for a, for a podium finish if if one of the the top three guys don't don't make it to the checkered flag. So yeah, as I said, it it could be really exciting. I think over the next two races, it might play to to Renault's hands. Like you say, they did the they did the downforce thing really well at Spa, but um, yeah, pretty much out of those four teams, I think the only one that that's really going to struggle over the next two races is unfortunately Ferrari. Just a word on Daniel Ricciardo because he, 
finished P4 after qualifying P4 was way ahead of the rest of the midfield. And yeah, like you said, he was only three odd seconds off uh, Max Verstappen at the end, um, setting the fastest lap on his final lap with tyres that were were not remotely fresh or even in a good condition. Um, I mean, I don't know. Where do you rate him? You know, how go- how good do you think he is? Because for me, I put him up there with. You know, the top two, I'd say, you know, Verstappen, Hamilton, Leclerc, probably the best on the grid. And I, I'd put Ricardo right up there with uh, right up there with them, to be honest. Um, I think Danny Rick has some moments of absolute brilliance. I mean, his, his ability to pass, to come from way back um, and sneak a position off someone, it is really good. Um, I'm not 100% sure I'd put him with those top three, though. I mean, maybe leading the battle for four by himself. No, but... Yeah, I mean he's a what he's a seven-time Grand Prix winner, so clearly he has some talent to him. He's good for the sport, I think. He's entertaining, um, and yeah, because of his abilities and his perhaps his Italian heritage as well. Uh, when it was announced that Sebastian Vettel was leaving Ferrari, he was the favourite to take that seat. Um, he didn't get it in the end. It game went to Carlos Sainz, and I think he'll be thanking his lucky stars that he didn't, because I mean they're just in a horrendous situation at the moment you know I mean they started the season badly but it's just gone from bad to worse uh you know FP3 they finished P17 and P20 so that in qualifying there was just relief around that garage that they both made Q2 and then the race yeah it was not much better you know neither of them ever looked like getting in the points really in your years of watching Formula One do you think this is the worst that you've ever seen them Definitely. I mean, I I pretty much started in Formula One a couple of years before the, the Michael Schumacher run of five world championships. So I'm used to seeing Ferrari being successful. So to watch this is, is absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, this is a this is a fantastic team with incredible, incredible history added to that with an incredible budget. And I don't know what's gone wrong. It is definitely engine. They can downplay it all they want, but those TVs uh, from last season have absolutely curtailed their pace. I mean, Ferrari is so bad that even Toto Wolff is sympathizing for the poor Ferrari fans and for Formula One. Like he came out and said it's an iconic brand and they should be racing at the very front. This isn't good for Formula One. This is awful for Formula One. Ferrari's iconic. It's, It's every kid's first car, the one in red. And somehow along the line, they have got it horribly wrong this season. And unfortunately, with 2021, pretty much a repeat of this year's championship, they've got it wrong for, for two years. I, I feel I feel for Carlos Sainz, but I mean, this just goes to prove what, what Wolf said at the beginning of the year. You know, you, you don't sign with the team until, until you've at least seen a few races. So he's made his bed. Now he's got a lie in it. I think to a certain degree, Sebastian Vettel must actually be going like, thank goodness I'm out. And like you say, Danny Rick, the fact that, I mean, he's always wanted to go to Ferrari and he instead signed with McLaren. He must be breathing a sigh of relief as well. Ferrari is just, wow, it's disappointing. It's disappointing. It's heartbreaking. I mean, Bonotto came out and said they're angry. Um, Vettel has said, like, there's frustration, but they mustn't let frustration decide their next steps. But you get the feeling like that's all that's actually leading them at the moment. Uh, They're not making any steps forward. Therefore, they're obviously making steps backwards. So is it frustration that's, that's guiding them at the moment? Ferrari is, 
Yeah, Ferrari is to a certain degree Formula One. I mean, they've retained their veto in the new Concord Agreement. It sounds like they're also getting a, a little bit extra than the other teams as well. And yet they're languishing in the midfield and there is not a single sign of of any hope at the moment, let's be honest. Yeah, that status you mentioned, I just, I wonder where they'd be without that kind of status because I think when you look at their car and their engine this year, the first thing you think of is how illegal was their engine last year to give them that much more power, you know? Um, and I feel like if it wasn't Ferrari doing that with their engine, then the repercussions would have been huge. But uh, obviously it was Ferrari, so they pretty much got away with it. Um but yeah, they're paying for it this year. I mean, yeah, obviously the engine is obviously the biggest issue, but it's not the only thing because, I mean, for a lot of the race on Sunday, Roman Grosjean was splitting them in a house and looking as quick, if not a bit quicker than both of them, um, which, I mean, it says it all. I mean, if they've got the same engine as Haas, then their chassis must be really bad as well for to be matching the American team on pace. It'd be easy to think that, Things couldn't get any worse for them, but they're going to because uh, next up is two races in the homeland of Italy. And if they, you know, weren't embarrassed enough about going back there with their tail between their legs, there's also going to be fans in Mugello to watch them uh, languish down in P13, P14, probably. With uh, stable regulations as well for next season, there's just not an end in sight, really, is there? No, there isn't. And like you say, the unfortunately, the heartbreak is just going to be compounded at the next two races, Monza and Mugello. Both Italian circuits, Ferrari's home turf, um, and they're going to be nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Last year, Charles Leclerc won at Monza. This year, if he makes it out of Q1, I think they'll, they'll, they'll take that as a moment of success. It's really... It's so bad, but like you said, I mean, it's not. It can't just be the engine. I mean, Sebastian Vettel was overtaken by Kimi Raikkonen, and let's be honest, Kimi has been Kimi's been pretty much nowhere this season. Um, Leclerc was in the middle of a Haas sandwich. He did eventually pass both Haases, but aside from his moves at the very start of the race, those were Ferrari's only two overtakes of the entire Grand Prix, passing Haas in the in the closing ten laps. It was awful, and like we say, Monza's going to be more of the same. So is Mugello. If I was them, I would, I'd probably crash out on the opening lap. <laughs> At least then you don't have to go through laps and laps of pain. Yeah, get it out of the way early. Just uh, rip off that plaster. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably going to be worse at Monza, to be honest, because their big issue is their straight-line speed, and um, Spa's important for straight-line speed, but Monza... That's pretty much the be-all, end-all, you know, with that whopping straight. So, uh, yeah, I think if you're a Ferrari fan, then, I don't know, maybe watch the highlights. <laughs> Otherwise, it'll be a depressing few hours for you. Um, but, yeah, that race is uh, just a week away. We've got that, and then a week after that, we've got Mugello. So, yeah, we're flying through the season now. Yeah, that's everything about the Belgian Grand Prix. Looking ahead to Italy, Michelle, you, uh, you hoping for a better race? I'm going to stick my head out and say no. It's going to be a Mercedes 1-2 at Monza. Yeah, I, uh, as much as that sounds depressing to hear, it's probably true. Um, I don't know, I think with Renault looking so good on the straights, maybe we could see Ricardo closer to Verstappen for P3, which would be fun at least. But uh, yeah, I think 
two things asserted heading into it. Mercedes are going to be very good and Ferrari are going to be very bad. Heard it here first. Thanks to everyone for listening to this episode. Um, if you enjoyed it, then be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because, uh, yeah, it really go- helps us out. And uh, in the meantime, before next week's race, which our coverage will start start on Friday with uh, FP1, be sure to uh, keep an eye on our website, planetf1.com, and, uh, yeah, also keep an eye on our social media channels. Our Facebook's simply planetf1, and our Twitter is planet underscore f1. We'll uh, be back on this podcast again next week to discuss the Italian Grand Prix, and hopefully it'll be a good one. Although, if you're a Ferrari fan, I wouldn't get your hopes up. Thanks again, and see you soon. Bye. That's not just any sound. It's lunchtime, and that's the irresistible sound of Philadelphia cream cheese being spread across your sandwich. And now you're wondering if it tastes as good as it sounds? Remember, you came here for this radio show. Irresistibly Philadelphia. Sports Social Podcast Network.